say, Teacher, I brought you my son to you, for he has a dumb spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, he foams and grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. And I ask you, your disciples, to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, Amelia convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has he had this? And he said, From childhood. And it had often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You dumb and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but by prayer and fasting. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he would not have anyone know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will to all the people and with your spirit. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We want to welcome the children and the faculty and the staff and the families of Hagia Sophia Academy. Uh, today is ASA Sunday here at St. John. And uh, it's good for us to have you singing and reading the epistle and uh, challenging us not to stay in our exact same routines, but to break those routines. And uh, whether that had anything to do with getting an extra gospel reading this morning, I don't know. But as I told Deacon Innocent, it never hurts to read more than one gospel reading. Then Father Timothy turned to me and he says, so which gospel are you going to preach on? And I said, yes, all of it. Because I'm going to talk about the book, The Ladder of Divine Ascent. 
And if you haven't had a chance to come up and venerate the icon before you receive Andhidharan or at the end of all the services, you can do so because it's a very graphic image of what inspired St. John, the abbot of Sinai, to write this work. He uh, became a monk in the 7th century. He left the world and he went to Sinai, to the famous monastery of St. Catherine. Uh, He spent actually 40 years in the wilderness, not actually in the monastery, under a spiritual father, under several spiritual fathers actually. And it wasn't until after those 40 years that he, by popular demand, was asked to come out of the wilderness and to become the abbot of the St. Catherine Monastery. By that time, near and far, His Holiness, as a reputation, had spread all over the place. And people knew that he had the gift of discernment, that he was holy in his life, and that he could help people draw closer to God and to work out their salvation. And so they thought that he was the perfect candidate to be the abbot of the St. Catherine Monastery. That St. Catherine Monastery started in the early times, 4th century. And then it was rebuilt and then it exists even to this present day as a beacon of light in that area. And it's very interesting how the Bedouins of Sinai, who are Muslim, and the monks of St. Catherine, who are Christian, throughout all of these centuries, since the 4th century, have been able to live in harmony with one another, even despite their differences in faith, because of their mutual need for each other and survival in this harsh area. And so they don't fight each other over their religion, but they help each other and recognize each other's humanity without either compromising their own faith tradition. It's a very unique situation. So the ladder of divine descent was inspired by... Jacob's vision and dream that he had in the Old Testament where he saw a ladder stretching from the earth to heaven and from heaven to earth and there were angels ascending and descending and he was asked after four years being the monk uh, the abbot of St. Catherine to write a treatise a paper, a book on the spiritual life to help other monks and so he felt that he was unworthy to do it but nevertheless out of obedience he undertook the work and he divided the work into 30 chapters that he called steps each step building upon the other and he chose 30 because he was inspired by the age of Christ before he was baptized and began his three-year public ministry. So each step corresponds to one of the years of Christ from his birth to the point where he was baptized. The first three steps 
and I don't want to bore you, but I've never gone over all 30 steps with any congregation in the form of a sermon. I'm not going to go into great detail, but I think it is edifying and very useful for us, especially if we haven't read the book, to know what the steps are. The first three steps really deal with a person detaching themselves from the distractions and the cares and the worries of the fallen world. The first step is exactly that, renouncing the fallen world, renunciation. And the focus there is to not renounce the created world in its very goodness, but to renounce only that which is distorted, which is an obstacle between us and God. So much of what God has created, all of what God has created, is meant for us to be a means of our communion with Him. It bears witness to His love. It bears witness to His greatness. It has His signature upon it. And when we rightly understand what God has created and we interact with it in the right way, it leads us closer to Him. But there are many distortions in our fallen world and we are called to renounce them. The second step, we are called to detach ourselves from possessiveness. So when you think about the things that we can have in our possession, we ask ourselves, are they possessing us? Do we have the right or the wrong priorities? Are we in distorted relationships? Because all of these things can possess us, rather than us simply being in possession of them and using them rightly. And the third step is having a sense in ourselves all the time that we are not citizens of this world. That our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. That we are pilgrims on this earth. As much as we might enjoy some of the things that God has blessed us with, this is not our permanent home. And if we remember that all the time, the tension that we feel inside of us between the kingdom of heaven and life in this world will make sense. It's not a tension that as a Christian will ever go away. It's something that we have to balance in our life. So those are the first three steps and they deal with us making a break from the fallen world. The next four steps, four, five, six, and seven, are really foundational virtues for us to begin the spiritual life once we have made in a renunciation of things that are fallen. Step four is the longest chapter in the entire book. And it's on obedience. Obedience to God, learning what it means to say, your will be done. Obedience to the teachings and the life of the church. And equally important, obedient to those around us, our parents, our siblings, our spouses, our employers, our co-workers, our friends, to understand that God has put these people in our life and we have the opportunity to exercise obedience to them, to cut our own will and to do in our relationship with them 
what is good for them and what is blessed by God. The next step is repentance. Coming to our true selves. Changing the way that we think. The way that we look at things. Reorienting our lives. And making sure that we return to Christ. Wherever we find our thinking not right, we return to Christ each time. This is repentance. Step six is a healthy, and I emphasize a healthy, remembrance that we are not going to live forever. That each one of us, at some point, is going to die. And to remember ultimate things. To remember that we want to successfully pass through judgment. That we are going to be held accountable. If we can keep this remembrance in our lives every day, it will change the way that we think about things. It will change our sense of urgency. And it will certainly change our priorities. The seventh step is a joy-making sorrow. Not sorrow, but a joy-making sorrow. Any sorrow that God allows in our life is meant to produce joy in our hearts. So we know that there are things that we should mourn. We should mourn when we fall short of the glory of God. We should mourn over the sins of those around us. We should look at the fallenness of the world, but we should also make sure that it makes our own hearts softer. That we are driven to more fervently cling to Christ, who is the source of all joy. We say that Great Lent itself is characterized by joy and sorrow. Chara and lipi. And we actually combine the two into one word, harmolipi, bright sadness. And this is the seventh step of the ladder. The next several steps, steps 8 through 23, all deal with passions that we are battling in our life. I'm going to name them. Anger. And then St. John also lists meekness right next to it. Number nine, the remembrance of wrongs, which follows very closely after anger. And when he talks about the remembrance of wrongs, he says resentment and malice and rancor, spite and holding grudges are all a part of remembering wrongs. Number ten, slander. Talking about other people's sins instead of being aware of our own. The way of the Christian life is not accusing others, but it is seeing Christ and in Christ, seeing where we fall short so that we can change. Number 11 is talkativeness and its opposite, silence. Number 12 is lying. Number 13 is despondency, otherwise known as spiritual gloom or low spirits or indifference to salvation or distaste for spiritual things or spiritual laziness. 
St. John calls it a paralysis of the soul. Because when we do not believe that God loves us, that God wants our salvation, then and only then can despondency come into our hearts. Step 14 is gluttony, which he calls the glamorous mistress, the stomach. Number 15, lust versus chastity and purity. 16, the love of money, or avarice and greed, which he calls, quoting the scriptures, the root of all evil. Not money itself, the love of money. Step 17 is non-possessiveness. Freely we have received from God, freely we should give. Number 18 is insensitivity, which St. John says comes from the loss of the fear of God. It's hypocrisy, it's apathy, dullness, laziness, a refusal to respond to God's invitation. Number 19, he says, is too much sleep. Even the monks can suffer from wanting too much sleep. He's talking then on verse step 20 about bodily vigil that leads to spiritual vigilance. Number 21 is cowardice in the spiritual life. Do you know that one of the vices that gives birth to all the vices is fear? And one of the virtues that gives birth to all the virtues is courage. And so he gives a whole step to talking about that. Step 22 is vainglory, kenodoxia, substituting the glory for God for the glory of your fellow human beings. And then 23 is pride, leading to unclean and blasphemous thoughts. So all of that is the middle of the ladder. Then we get to steps 24, 25, and 26, which we could call the virtues that are necessary for Christian living. Step 24 is simplicity, meekness, and gentleness. Actually, actually I reread I read that. Simplicity, meekness, and guilelessness. Step 25 is the humility which he calls the destroyer of all passions. I wanted to quote one of the things that he said there. He says, He who has been united with humility as his bride is above all gentle, kind, easily moved to compunction, sympathetic, calm, bright, inoffensive, vigilant, not slothful, and free from passion. He says, Repentance raises the fallen, mourning knocks at the gates of heaven, and holy humility opens those gates. The final step in this area of virtues necessary for Christian living is discernment, which he says takes an accurate self-knowledge. It's clearly seeing the difference between good and evil and then choosing whatever is good and right according to God, not according to the world. And finally, the last four steps are understood as the fruit of one's relationship with God. Knowing God will bring forth these four fruits. 
The first one is step 27. Stillness of thoughts and the guarding of the heart. This is likened to constant remembrance of God in your life, peacefulness of soul, and being free from all distractions. Step 28 is the prayer, which he calls the mother of all the virtues. He calls it dialogue and union with God, food for the soul, and illumination of the mind. The second to last step Step 29 is freedom from passions. This is the healing of the human person in communion with God. He calls it heaven on earth and the resurrection of the soul before the general resurrection. This is what St. Paul said or meant when he said, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then the last step, which is the goal of the entire Christian life, which is the final ascent up the ladder, is love. Love, St. John, considers the greatest of all of the virtues. If you have love, then you have everything else. If you have love, then you resemble God, St. John says. He speaks of love as the inebriation of the soul. He says it's the summit of the ascent of the ladder of divine ascent. So my dear brothers and sisters, this treatise has been looked upon by the church as a classic. So much so that we have dedicated the fourth Sunday of Lent to it. It also shows that nobody can go from zero to thirty. Each person has to go one rung at a time. And that each virtue builds upon itself and leads to the next. The healing of one passion opens up the ability to be healed of the next and so on. Leading to the culmination of what it means to be a human being in the likeness of God, which is love. So as we go through Lent and we put these spiritual principles in practice, let us make sure that the goal of everything that we are doing, whether it be prayer... Fasting, acts of mercy, extra church services, whatever it may be, may the goal be love. Love for God and love for each other. Amen.